Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was saying. Oh, okay. All right. Are you shitting me? <laughs> did you hear that? I did. <laughs> no. We're about to record. Ah. All right. I'll just beep it out. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. I I would yeah. say that. I mean, if it if it goes off while you're talking, then just restart. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know if it does. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know if okay. I hear it. Cool. All right. Three, two. Well, welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, welcome back to another week of salad post Super Bowl week, post Super Bowl wonderment, post Super Bowl (laughs) joy, post Super Bowl heartbreak, depending on who you're rooting for, and also post Super Bowl ads. And here at Salad, you better believe that we did not have time to talk about any of those ads after Sunday night. Exactly. We were so upset or happy that we didn't have time. Yeah. If you can't tell, we're recording this beforehand, you know, (laughs) because busy internships and busy school schedules uh, keep us busy, as one would say. But we are ready to record, and we'll we'll touch on some Super Bowl ads, I'm sure, in the the following podcast. Um, we'll see. Maybe the time has passed, or maybe the time will be just right. Now, speaking of the timing being just right, um, Burger King in Stockholm, if you can believe it, uh, took advantage of a very opportune moment um, in their competitive environment. Um, McDonald's just lost a. A lawsuit with a um, a rival company. I believe it was called. Um, let me pull it up here really quick. Um, uh, Supermax. It was an Irish fast food chain called Supermac that was suing, um, you know, McDonald's, and essentially they were saying that um, McDonald's hadn't, you know, really used their their trademark Big Mac over the last few years. So. The EU actually ruled that McDonald's didn't prove genuine use of their phrase, so they lost the trademark in in the European Union. (laughs) And so right after that happened, what did this agency called Ingo, based out of Stockholm, do? They created a menu of the not Big Macs at local Burger King locations just to troll the McDonald's, right? And so you walk in to your local Stockholm Burger King and you see... This menu that's not Big Macs and it's different burgers like like a Big Mac, but actually big or the burger Big Mac wished it was or the Big Mac-ish but flame grilled, of course, burger or the kind of like a Big Mac but juicier and tastier or the anything but a Big Mac <laughs> burger. So um, very just low cost, not necessarily like anything fancy done, but just a very clever opportune moment to capitalize it. And of course... Um, it you know it, it caught on it became popular and it has kind of definitely been a, a global pastime for burger king to troll mcdonald's as it was but it got cole and i thinking about you know the benefits of you know earned media uh impressions and and really just the power that could have for a brand especially if you're a big brand like burger king or if you're a brand working with a smaller budget uh, cole do you kind of want to explain what you know earned media impressions are to the listeners if they don't know and then we'll kind of dive into some of our favorite and then we'll kind of dive into some of our favorite examples from the past you know past few months about how brands especially burger king has taken advantage of this so you know when we're talking about earned media we're just basically talking about 
any sort of press publicity or, uh, you know, kind of advertising uh, that a brand is able to gather uh, without paying for it. So we think about earned media, it's called earned because we think of the brand as earning it. Mm -hmm. So they did something either so interesting, so fun, so, you know, out of this world that you know, news agencies decided to cover it. So you see this all the time where big brands will want to make statements and, you know, they'll set up some kind of big activation or something like that. Or, you know, Burger King pulls a stunt here or on social media and, you know, people are going to start talking about it. And so, you know, when you change all of your, all of your burgers to your competitors, burger, you know, that's going to, that's going to get some people's attention. And so the earned media here being the articles that would have come out afterwards in, I guess, Stockholm or wherever, uh, you know, wherever the example of the article in Adweek. (laughs) Exactly. And Adweek, Adweek being one of these places that, you know, you find these articles and, you know, the brand didn't have to pay for that. They paid for the activation obviously, but the earned media kind of, one gives it more credibility in the sense that, you know, this is actually newsworthy in the sense that actual news outlets or other organizations decide to pick this up. Exactly. Um, and, and, all, and this yeah. differs. Oh, go ahead. I know. And it's just also in the fact, too, that like if you're able to kind of do things like that, when we talk about brands that are creating culture, they usually get a lot of earned media. And, you know, we think about back to that, you know, the Kaepernick yeah, the brands spot people are talking can, about, right? Exactly. You know, those are the things that people are talking about. And so if you're able to earn that as an agency, that's one of the biggest wins. And this ties into um, paid media impressions, right? You know, where obviously that one is inherently makes a little bit more sense where you're putting money to have a certain number of, you know, to have your ad be viewed a certain number of times. Um, and the actually, as we've talked about them before, uh, Mother London um, actually did this with KFC uh, back in November, which was another great example I liked where KFC had fries in, in the EU that people hated. Um, and so when KFC was coming out with a new uh, fry recipe and a new type of fry that they were going to sell, Mother London created this campaign where they went and promoted, you know, put paid money behind old tweets of people trashing the fries on Twitter and then took those same tweets and put them into actual like out of home ads that you'd see walking down the streets in like the UK. And so there you have a case of like paying to promote these tweets, but then you get people to talk about these tweets in this campaign. And that's the earned part of it, right? So there's this nice kind of uh, ebb and flow of, you know, putting money in and then the added benefit of people talking about it on the, you know, the output side of things. And so, you know, that was another great example too. Mm -hmm. And And even recently, what did be, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say too, um, you know, another spot that Mother London actually did for KFC last year that gained a lot of traction was their famous, um, (laughs) their famous handling of the chicken shortage. So there was a, there was a period of time where uh, the KFCs in the UK were actually running out of chicken. So due to some, I guess, the supply chain issues and things like that, yeah, they exactly. weren't able to get the I think chi- they switched to DHL and then there was a, <laughs> then there was an issue there. Exactly. And so there was issues getting all the chicken there. And so what Mother London decided to do is they put on the, on the, it was a print ad essentially, but it was a KFC yeah. bucket, mm-hmm. but all yeah, they in the did newspapers. Was, yeah, in the newspapers there. And all they did was they arranged the letters um, from KFC to FCK. Um, so perfectly epitomizing <laughs> what everyone at Burger King must have been feeling. And everyone loved KFC, it. Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, that went viral. That was 
incredible and they want to mm-hmm. they want a can for yeah, that. Yeah, they want they want a lot for that. Yeah. And that had a ton of earned media impressions, right? Exactly. Um another example of this, you know, if <laughs> really KFC, Burger King, a lot of these culture creating brands at least in the fast food sphere, even Wendy's, right? With all of Wendy's, you know, tweets and roasts, those are all getting earned media impressions. Um a recent thing that Burger King did uh here in the states too was in order to announce the launch or the relaunch of their funnel cake fries um they went ahead and started liking influencer tweets from like i believe like back in 2010 when the funnel cake fries were last available they started liking them so that people would see them and then they went ahead and made a tweet that said something to the effect of you know uh a lot of good things can come back, you know, just like our funnel fries. And so by liking the influencer tweets from back in the, you know, I guess eight years ago now, or nine years ago now, um, they were kind of able to drum up attention. And then it even got Casey Neistat, who's one of the influencers there, to create a video about Burger King liking his, his tweet. And he expressed some frustration about being involved in this type of a campaign to sell something that was unhealthy. Um, but what's interesting too is like this kind of played into Burger King's hands because now Burger King's funnel cake fries are being talked about um, on an influencer's YouTube page, but which gets millions of views, right? So it's kind of funny, you know. You can be very tactile in how you do these small, low cost kind of uh, executions um, and really get a huge, uh, you know, impression out of it as a result. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and um, we see that. Really, the fast food companies like to do this a lot. You know, they kind of um, they beef with each other a lot on Twitter. And another one of mm-hmm. yeah, like another one of my favorite uh, fast food trolls is Wendy's. Actually, um, so you know they're always taking shots at McDonald's as well with the you know the fresher frozen debate and all of those things. But one of my favorite things that they did last year was they actually released a mixtape. So um, they dropped a, a whole album on oh, yeah. Spotify, and it was basically. It was basically it was called We Beefin. And so with that, uh, they basically <laughs> went after a bunch of their competitors um, as well and kind of touted some of the things that they like. Literally, the first track is Twitter Fingers. Um, <laughs> and we have other ones like Rest <laughs> in Grease and Four for Four Dollars that famed uh, the famed Wendy's deal there. Oh, it's and a great so- deal, too. Yeah, it is. It it really is. And so um, it's kind of fun to see all these fast food brands, you know, they know they don't have to take themselves as seriously. So they they love going after each other in that way. And that also gained a lot of uh, earned media as well. Look at an article right now on Thrillist about it. So, yeah, the gist is, you know, a marketing budget can only go so far. Right. So. I think that's the benefit of smart strategy and the benefit of good creative is it allows you to create a campaign, to create an ad, to create a promotion that has a far uh, greater reach than you can put money behind it, um, if that makes sense. And I think the last one we just want to touch on, because it happened recently also with Burger King. Burger King's just been killing it the last you know year or two. Um, and I don't think we got a chance to touch on this on the pod, but... Um, you know, FCB uh, New York kind of had a, a really good coup um, where they did the Whopper detour where they geofenced all of the McDonald's essentially. And if you had the Burger King app and you drove like within a couple hundred feet of like a McDonald's, you would get a one cent Whopper coupon so that you could then go back to the Burger King um, to get what they were saying is a better burger, right? For only a penny. Um, and that went viral too, right? It's just little things like that that um, 
<laughs> just can catch kind of like wildfire and get you all these extra impressions that then get people talking about your brand, whether positive or negative, you know, get your brand being discussed, put your brand back in the public eye. And also um, really kind of, I think can increase brand sentiment if done right, especially with some of these funnier executions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, any, any kind of like thoughts that you had on those Cole, I know, um, you know, this is definitely a bit of a Burger King heavy segment, but it was kind of, kind of fun to dig into the meat of, uh, what these yeah, brands no have been intended, doing. I'm sure. Um, but, uh, anyway. oh, oh yeah. You know, That'd yeah, don't grill me over my puns. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. <laughs> There's some fire. There's, these Burger uh, King just fire let us, tweets are keeping, uh, get me, back to the show. keeping me pretty good. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think it's a really good mm-hmm. point. Where there's smoke, there's burgers. Yes. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah. Any anyway, I think I think that it is important to to note the prevalence of this and how this has kind of been increasing over time. You know, and I think you know everyone loves a good beef, uh, loves a good fight on Twitter, especially and. Um, yeah, it kind of plays into like our viral culture, right? Where everything happens so quickly mm-hmm. and. You know, it's what what what's in now. I guess it's just kind of interesting to exactly. see. Exactly, and what do you, think you know when. When the president can, you know, call up people on Twitter, you know, so can our fast food companies. So, you know, mm-hmm. I guess that's that's kind of where we're at there. But I think I think we'll continue to see things like that. And I would imagine uh, at the Super Bowl, you guys probably saw some brands beefing with each other and probably trying to get some earned media <laughs> through either some sort of stunt that they're probably going to reveal during the game or on social media. So keep your guys eyes peeled for that um Mm -hmm. but anyway i think that pretty much covers our section on earned media there and now we are ready to actually hop into our interview yeah we're about to have uh who are we about to have on the show here cole yeah so we're about to have elizabeth brownson so she is actually the executive director at team one in charge of integrated production operations and technology so uh she's in in charge of a lot of different departments within a huge agency uh, and yeah, that's crazy. Exactly. So uh, she's got a whole bunch of responsibility, great wisdom. And so we are honored to have her here. Uh, super excited to uh, chat with her a little bit about how uh, production and technology are kind of changing the agency environment and how that factors into running a large agency like Team One. So uh, thank you uh, for coming on, Elizabeth. We're looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, thank you. Great. I'm super glad to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. Awesome. Awesome. So just to kind of start us off here. um, So you've worked at a a bunch of different agencies, uh, a few different companies kind of across the country. Um, So maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what brought you uh, to your current position at Team One. Absolutely. Um, So I ended up, I went to university in Oregon. I went to Reed College there. And while I was there, we have to write an undergraduate thesis. And I ended up doing a bunch of my research with Nike. Um, You know, the benefit of working for Mm. Nike in Portland is that, you know, you're basically working for a marketing company that just happens to make shoes. Um, And so you get a really broad exposure to, you know, great thinking about marketing, great exposure to advertising as a whole. Um, And so for me, it was ideal because I was really passionate about advertising and really looking to get into the industry in a way um, that I knew would kind of benefit what I wanted to do. And I got to do that right out of university. Um, And then from there, at the time, it was very much connected to digital and kind of the rise of web. This was around um, 
99. And so at that point, I got very much connected to Nike.com. Um, and then a, a website they launched for women called NikeWomen.com, um, NikeGoddess.com. And then at that point, um, I think they still didn't really know whether the internet was going to be ever used uh, for women to do shopping. Like they kind of had a premise that maybe women wouldn't want to shop online, which huh. clearly yeah. has proven to not <laughs> yeah. be true. I guess yeah. not. Um, <laughs> not, yes. Um, but then at that point, I was in advertising. And more than that, you know, two years in, I had what was considered a lot of digital experience because I had been working in interactive um, for two years at that point, which was longer than anybody else because it was just starting. Um, and so from there, I moved um, to LA and I worked for Team One as a digital producer. Um, and I kind of moved my way up through digital production and then actually left to run production for DDB, for Tribal DDB. And I oh, was nice. there for about two years mm -hmm. and then came back to Team mm -hmm. One um, to head integrated production. Oh. which is what I've been doing ever since. I've been back here now about 11 years. Um, and that has grown since I've been here. So first it was just uh, digital production and project management. Then it was integrated production across all of the mediums. Then it was integrated production workflow and our studios. And that's when you kind of added in the operations and technology part. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I've been doing that now here in this capacity and across um, working with our sister agencies in the network for about 10 years. So wow. um, it's been a delight and I love it. That's awesome. It's kind of cool to see how you've kind of grown with the technology kind of as things have, have kind of come along. So that's really awesome. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think um, it kind of speaks to the fact that both to do the job I have now and to do the jobs I've ever had, it has had to be kind of okay with heading into the unknown, right. you know, fearlessly embracing that which is not uh, a known entity and being able to kind of take on the next challenge, um, even though you don't really know what that challenge is going to be specifically. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of lends into our next question for you. Uh, just curious to know, you know, the there's a lot of different moving parts that you're managing there. And I'm just kind of curious, like what have you found works best to keep things running smoothly? Um, have you kind of had any pitfalls over the way um, kind of in leadership or operations learnings that you've had that kind of you've continued to work to improve on now that you kind of can touch on? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting because I feel like there's a couple things. One is uh -huh. that innate to my personality is the idea of putting like things together, right? So okay. when you're given a big disparate group, you have to work on how are you going to organize it? And usually the most efficient way is to put like things together and make sure they make sense. Mm -hmm. So I have I have worked to do that within my own team, you know, putting the kind of operational roles together, putting the studio roles together, putting the technology roles together, right. putting the producer roles together, putting the project management and kind of workflow roles together. Um, and then really hiring great people to lead each of those groups and giving them both kind of autonomy and mastery to lead those groups as they see fit. Mm -hmm trying to make sure my role always ties back to kind of the vision of the agency, the vision of our department, the vision of our clients, and the vision of, uh, you know, kind of our work in the larger universe going forward. Right. If I can keep that clear and I hire good people, then I'm able to make sure that they are clear about what their goals are, what the vision is they should be laddering up to, and then let them run their groups. They know their expertise better than I do. Mm -hmm. Um 
In terms of kind of stumbling blocks, I think one of the biggest ones is because my background was digital, but I was taking over an integrated position lead. Mm. There was a lot of challenge in the beginning of like, you know, people who had been entrenched in TV production or print production or art production for years and had the kind of, you know, maybe appropriate concern that how will this person who has a digital background be able to come in and lead teams of people who do something very, very different? Mm -hmm. And for me, I never thought that was an invalid question. I really was like, yeah, there's a validity to that question. How, how will I do this? I do not have a deep expertise in what they do, right. but I do know how production works and I do know how complicated production is. Yeah. And for me, a lot of overcoming that was sitting down and kind of seeking to understand what they do before I came in and tried to put a mark on how to change those things. Right. Um, and I think that built trust with the team. It built trust with the client. And it actually let me develop an expertise beyond um, what my kind of normal, original knowledge base would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's the challenge that almost every leader runs into, which nice. is at some point you're going to be the general manager or the president of an agency but you've never done all of the positions in that agency. So yeah. you have to figure out how to lead people who are doing things that you've never done before yourself. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's super exciting. And it seems like too, um, also you being at the helm of such a large uh, kind of agency within sort of a holding company, you know, it, it kind of adds even more layers, um, I guess, to that to that kind of, uh, leadership ladder, I guess, that you were kind of talking about. Um, so how do you feel like being at team one or kind of being with, uh, the broader team at Saatchi has kind of changed that for you? Um, I mean, I think there's a balance, which is, you know, you don't want to build so many layers in that you're inefficient, Mm -hmm. but you do need to build enough layers on in that people are able to perform, the highest level tasks that they're able to do. And you're not asking one person to do all of the tasks all at once. Um, I think the benefit Mm -hmm. of being at a place like Saatchi or part of a large network like Publicis is that, you know, we both have the feel of a small agency. And, and, you know, I, I think this is something that a lot of people would say, which is you have the feel of a small agency with real focus on your client's business goals. Well, at the same time, having a large network that you can pull from in terms of competencies and support and thinking. Um, and then also a large network you can pull into in terms of what you can offer back to the network. And I really like that feeling. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So it's almost like you're kind of creating a feedback loop sort of that kind of allows everyone kind of all boats to rise at the same time. Exactly. And also I think, um, you know, especially for innovation, there's that idea that like for innovation, you need to a little bit be left alone. Like it cannot be, you know, you cannot over need the dough. You have to let it like fester. You have to let it be a little bit left alone to have that kind of, you know, spark in the primordial ooze that can bring something forward. And that's one of the benefits (laughs) is that we were a little Uh bit left alone enough to develop and advance Mm -hmm. without having corporate oversight really, you know, put the hard press down on like, why are you doing that? Where is that going? How do you prove your ROI? Mm -hmm. I think we actually were able to do a lot more because we were slightly removed from the center of the network world. Mm. 
Gotcha. So you obviously have a lot of uh, kind of experience with production and kind of putting out good work. Do you feel like that kind of that creative, almost isolation there, kind of stepping outside? Is that one of uh, your kind of best ingredients for good work? Or what do you kind of see as being one of the major elements in creating a really great uh, campaign or project? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, I think one of it is to remember that like when an idea comes out, no matter what it is, it's a very delicate and teeny seed, right? right? Like mm-hmm. it really is even hard to identify as an idea at first. It often won't become anything unless it's given the right, you know, fertilizer, sun, soil, water, mm-hmm. like it has to be, um, really tended to and allowed to flourish. It's easy to kind of stamp a a small initial idea down. So you have to be surrounded by people who all kind of have the right mentality of like working together, finding the benefit and positivity in the ideas and then making sure there are things that we can bring to Mm -hmm. life. Um, I always say that I, you know, I have a team full of people whose job is to take something that lives entirely in somebody's head and make it so it's something that everybody can see. And so figuring out how to take theory into practical, figuring out how to support an idea that is kind of a nascent little seed and allow it to flourish. Those are all parts of it. I think the other thing, and this is like one of my mentalities, because not only do I oversee production, but I oversee project management is I call it my Zamboni analogy. Mm. I'm about to get like really (laughs) hockey on you, which is funny because I'm an LA native. So I have no right to know about (laughs) hockey, but I'm going to use a good hockey analogy. Sometimes in the process of making something come to life, everybody actually has to step off Mm -hmm. the ice and let the Zamboni machine go out there and smooth Mm. it. And sometimes that seems like stopping the game, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. really it's not, everybody's like, no, we need to be moving faster, quicker, you know, all those things. And actually what it looks like is to get faster, quicker, smoother, you actually have to stop and take a moment of pause of like, how would we do this right? How do we smooth this ice so that when we go back out there, we're playing the absolute best game we can play. And so I think empowering people to add a benefit to every step along the production chain to say, if you need to take a pause and say, Hey, I will ultimately make this, this produced thing better. Whatever we're bringing to life will be brought to life better. If we can just pause for one second and take a moment, smooth that ice, and then let everybody else go out there and play. It's kind of that idea of like, you know, a moment of planning, allowing you to have something be truly effective in Mm -hmm. the end. I really support a team that does that because I think it does make the game go smoother. I think it makes the ideas come to life better. I think it makes the work we do be more remarkable Um, as opposed to just tumbling and stumbling and tripping over yourself where you may actually get to the finish line, but it's incredibly messy and probably will not get you something as true to your kind of vision as if you took a moment to say, let's be thoughtful about how we're going to do this. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I love that that thought of too, because I feel like especially too with popular culture and this kind of segues into kind of the next topic I wanted to talk about is kind of technology is, you know, technology is changing so quickly and there's this, 
you know, kind of this drive from a lot of people to kind of, you know, rush up to the next big thing, you know, and kind of catch right. up to that. And then sort of, you know, without a lot of foresight and thinking about, you know, either how we get there or, you know, what, what are the important things that need to be done along the way to make sure that that's fully realized. I, it's funny. I was just watching, uh, just last night I was watching that fire festival documentary on Netflix and it oh, was yeah, just like yeah. the perfect example of just everything going wrong in a sense and having no planning. And, you know, it's like, maybe you'd get something that would limp across the finish line, but you're getting, you know, a cheese sandwich at the end of it. So, you know, that's, I think that's definitely true. Um, totally. And I also think that, you know, um, I'm sure you've heard the saying, which is like every tool is a weapon if you yeah. hold it right. I feel like with technology, every once in a while, they'll be like, it's a tool. And I'm like, and if we're not careful, it's a weapon. Like we actually have to, I mean, you don't want to be so careful that you stifle growth mm-hmm. by all means. Like there needs to be a robustness and, um, you know, kind of a dynamicism of moving forward with something that is exciting. Right. Mm-hmm. But also you need to make sure that you are not moving forward with something that you think is a tool and will end up actually hurting your client's business or reflecting on them poorly. You know, prime examples are things like, you know, chatbots. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. the first person out there with a chatbot and it's, you know, you're trying to talk to a customer and it's like, you know, cat, baby video, racial tension, bad, you know, like whatever. <laughs> if it, like, if it really cannot you know, reveal what your brand needs it to be like use being first to something that could be negative has to be weighed with what is the benefit of actually just being first to be there. Um, and so I think, um, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that I just ask us not to stop for a long time. You know, the Zamboni machine doesn't go out there and make everybody leave for days. Mm -hmm. It comes out there and quickly smooths the playing field. And I think every once in a while us taking a moment and saying, okay, Let's all get on the same page. What are we trying to accomplish? Are we still all on board? And when the answer is yes, then we boldly move forward together um, with a lot more clarity of thought. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I feel like that's so true. And, and, but having the foresight kind of to see what's coming down the, down the pipeline too, is also necessary. I feel like as well. So I think that's, I think that's so true. Um, Absolutely. And let me say this, when I talk about what I look to hire in people, like what I'm always looking to hire, Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, one of the things is I like hiring people who are mm-hmm. self-aware. I will take somebody who is flawed, but knows their flaws and can communicate them clearly over somebody who's trying to convince you they are perfect mm-hmm. for the job. Because all I know about that person is they're not perfect for the job, but now 50% of my work will be figuring out how to convince them that they have shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. has shortcomings. So having somebody who knows what there are, I can partner them with people to balance out their strengths and weaknesses. So I look for self-awareness first and somebody who can communicate mm-hmm. those clearly. And the second thing is that instinct, that ability to have foresight to see around corners. Um, because if you can't connect dots systemically to talk about what's coming down, what might be coming, how that might impact you, then you're always going to be on your heels. And I, I do look for people who can talk about times where they're like, hey, here's what I did to kind of use systemic thinking or use good instinct or use analytic um, thought to get to be able to tell what was around that corner or what might be coming down in advancement of both creativity and innovation. Yeah, exactly. 
Definitely. Definitely. I think, I think kind of looking ahead at that, it's like, it, it really is, you know, having, having that self-awareness. And I think that holds true for people and for, you know, companies and agencies as well, where, you know, you have to be able to communicate one to the client, you know, the things that you're realistically able to accomplish, um, you know, in order to get to those goals and have them fully realized in the way that you and your client would really want. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Definitely. And um, so I guess kind of, still in the vein of technology, um, you know, you're kind of going through a few of your different roles before. And obviously, you know, you were at the kind of the advent of digital in a lot of big ways. So besides that kind of the more obvious reasons, how has technology kind of impacted your role? I mean, obviously, you're in charge of it. But you know, how has that kind of changed over time? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I think first off, it used to I mean, one of the biggest things is technology and digital or in our, or, you know, kind of interactive used to be thought of as its own separate thing, um, which is even hard to believe, but it would be like, there are, you know, in a 300 person agency, there are 30 people carved out who deal with digital and interactive. And now it's literally a part of every single thing we do. We wouldn't hire anybody who didn't have a strong background in interactive or digital Uh or technology, just because it's such, it's woven into everything we do. It is not carved out as like an enclave of people who just think about those things. It's part of the DNA of everybody we hire, which is, that's amazing. Cause I was still there when it was like a scrappy little kind of, you know, stepchild in the agency that you had to force other people to listen to by like tagging on the end of their shirts being like, what about interactive? What about the website? Um, so those things have definitely gone and that's changed over time. And that's kind of fantastic. I think the other thing is just in the ability for us to do our jobs, you know, so much of what we used to do didn't, wasn't able to harness the, you know, progressiveness of things like Slack and Confluence Mm -hmm. and the workflow systems that we even use to get stuff done. You know, even things like how we review work with the client, how we, you know, talk to each other over, over conferences, um, how we build things, you know, what test innovation looks like when you're building, you know, for the web, all of those things, we used to basically have to like build something in a little, you know, one-off sandbox, then put it on a server and see how it worked. And if it didn't work, we would pull it off and then build it more. And there's just so much kind of it's, you know, active Mm -hmm. iteration. Um, You know, our environments allow us to kind of build and test and prototype and learn along the way. And that's the way the technology has affected the work we do in technology, um, which I love. That's awesome. And definitely going along with that too. Um, I think we hear a lot, at least Cole and I do as students, you know, who will look on AdAge or AdWeek and see an editorial about it, about how agencies are a little bit behind the times, you know, when compared with like consultancies and other kind of rival firms, um, especially in technology. And, you know, obviously Team One, I think you and the rest of the agency have done a great job of staying ahead of the curve and being up to date on upcoming tech. And I'm just curious, what do you think is like that most important first step that agencies need to do as a whole to really embrace technology and be more competitive in uh, an agency pitch? I mean, I can just definitely say that one of the things we've done is we have always wanted to look and make sure that our work with our clients wasn't just asking them to hit the marketing Mm -hmm. objectives they come to us. It was really thinking about them as partners and as their agent to drive their businesses forward. And I think that's the piece, which is if you see that as your remit, if you know your ask is not just a how do you market in the one marketing campaign they're asking, but how do you drive their business forward? There is not a way to know. There's not a way to ignore that keeping abreast of how technology is going to advance um, is critical to not just your 
you know, kind of guaranteed success in the future, but your clients guarantee right. success in the future and your clients guaranteed success in the future is your guaranteed success in the future. So I think those are really it. I think also just hiring people who mm-hmm. make you nervous. Um, I think time and time again, I want to hire people who make me nervous, either nervous that they're going to be the people who have my job someday. And that's what I mm-hmm. should be hiring for that. They know things I don't know, um, that they know things that I'm not sure I right. believe. You know, like, I mean, really hiring people who, um, make me nervous in what they're understanding and explaining and what they're thinking about. Because I think that that um, innate level of discomfort, the kind of tension behind, you know, hey, well, I'm comfortable here. I'm a little bit conservative here because I have a lot to conserve. I always say that like conservative means you have a lot to conserve. That's a good thing. You want to have a lot to conserve. You just don't want to be conservative. So hiring people who can be progressive and make you nervous. um, I think doing that and then really Asking ourselves all the time, and I think sometimes to a point where I've found it even exhausting, which is Mm -hmm. how can we be better? I feel like before we're even finished answering the question how we could be better from six months ago, we're we're asking again, how can we be better for the next six months Mm -hmm. or the next six years? Um, And then making sure you actively interrogate, you know, why are you doing that? What is the motivation? Is that really the Mm -hmm. right way to do it? Um, So that you do keep that moving forward. I also think um, the last thing I'll say about it is I think because ad agencies, it's that idea of like what got you here right. won't get you mm-hmm. there. It's easy to say, well, well, here's how we've always done it. And that made us really yeah. successful. And then at that point you have to realize, but that's how you had always done it. And that got you to here, but that yeah. won't keep you successful. And so I think not asking yourself like, well, what's working and we should just keep doing what's working, but asking yourself, well, what isn't working and also what will be working six months or a year or two years from now. Um, because you're going to be asked to change and look at your competitors and figure out the changing landscape of both technology and yeah, innovation. Exactly. Oh, that's a great point to bring up. Uh, definitely. And kind of when you're looking at that, so when you're looking at that changing landscape, you know, whether it be, you know, things that are working for other agencies or things that have kind of, uh, kind of come to fruition at team one, where do you see tech as kind of making advertising's work simpler? And where do you kind of see it as making it a little bit more difficult? Because I feel like there's kind of two sides to that a little bit as well. Well, so there was the original like advertising adage was 50% of your marketing dollars is doing nothing for you. You just don't know which 50% that is, Mm -hmm. right? Like exactly. I always said, you have to spend it all. The difference is now, you know, which 50% isn't doing anything Mm -hmm. for you most of the time. And that definitely makes our work simpler. We can pull data and performance and we can have, you know, work adjust on the fly so that it's more effective. You can track the performance of that work. And all of that takes a lot of the guesswork out out of, you know, really us being able to harness data-driven creative and progressive and dynamic creative, that Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Um, And I love it. Of course, the idea of taking the guesswork out of it means you can't remove the creativity from it. You can't just turn it into, you know, the ad bot that's like, oh, here's what seems to be performing better. I'm going to automatically generate more of that, like because people's Mm -hmm. minds don't work that way. So figuring out how to manage the data you get with the creative and the ideas that actually drive your work, I think that's the part that's Mm -hmm. complicated um, is, you know, having the the technology to advance is there, figuring out how to use it right is the complication. 
Mm-hmm. I think the other piece is now you can do so many things. You have to be more thoughtful about what you right. want to do. So like, you know, it used to be you could do a radio ad, you could do a TV ad, you could do a print ad. And that print ad could be in a magazine or a newspaper. And that was mm-hmm. kind of it. You could do a billboard. Um, but now you can do yeah. all of those still. <laughs> all of those still exist. Like there's print ads, there's radio ads. There's, But now you also can do an Instagram story. You can do a, you know, Facebook page. You can do a YouTube channel. You can do a website. You can do banners. You can do an app. Um, You can do uh, a dynamic experience. You can do a VR thing and trying to figure out which one of those touch points, which one of those contexts is actually what your consumer and your product need. That is really, really hard. Um, So it is that thing, which is, you know, with everything advancing so much, now you actually have to be thoughtful and choosy in which ones you want to use for your business. Mm-hmm. I think that's so true. And, you know, in the sense that strategy is picking the things that you don't want to do, um, that's become even more, even more like prescient in recent, recent years. Um, kind of just a question out of curiosity here. Um, we've talked to a few people kind of about the future of tech in advertising, yeah. and it's always something that is kind of exciting to me. And so what do you kind of see as the next step? I mean, we have kind of this creative that's more iterative. Um, you know, we're able to kind of change things, like you said, on the fly. But where do you think that that's all kind of heading? I mean, I guess, you know, this is this is the hardest, the hardest part, which is messages are just going to become more and more woven into Mm -hmm. everything we do. Right. So the messages are going to be there in all Mm -hmm. of the interfaces we have on our cars, on our, you know, on our phones, in every single place on our refrigerators. You know, they're all going to be woven in. And I think figuring out. Mm -hmm where the consumer's appetite for that is and their ability to Mm. digest that is that kind of overlap, I think is one of the biggest, you know, kind of ways that we will become smarter. I think data and figuring out how to use data appropriately in a way that doesn't feel creepy in a way that actually speaks to people in a way that allows the kind of authenticity of communication that actually humans are really good at sensing. They can't describe Mm -hmm. exactly where it comes from, but they know it when it's there. I think figuring out that is going to be key. Um, You know, right now we've gotten so good at collecting so much data, but A, should we be collecting all of it? And B, how do we use Mm -hmm. what we should be collecting? I think those are going to be really critical as well. Um, You know, and I think definitely kind of more augmented experiences, more integrated into your life experiences um, where you really can experience brands and, you know, touch them, feel them, try them out in advance. Those kind of things are the best ads for a product you can have, which is you really know you have fallen in love with it because you've gotten to have direct experience with it. So how do we use advertising to not just describe and list functions, but let consumers experience your products? Mm -hmm. And kind of creating that deeper emotional connection there. I like it. I like it. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to Mm -hmm. just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. You need to make sure you've got the right strategy behind it to use the right tools for the job. Um, And I think kind of with that, too, we've talked a little bit, uh, Elizabeth, about you know, where we think things are going. And I'm curious, you know, for, for us as students and for other students out there who are looking to get into the ad industry, um, what's kind of your advice for them on, you know, 
what they should do to prepare themselves for success, you know, especially with all this changing technology and trying to stay up to date and uh, be digitally native in, a, in an agency. So it's interesting because a lot of my answers to this have very little to do with the advertising industry and a right. lot to do with how to be part of a team mm-hmm. really well. Yes. So, you know, the advertising industry is a team made up of funny, hardworking, smart, creative people. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do you become successful working with a team of people like that? So yeah. it's both things like, you know, self-awareness, like I said, you know, be aware of yourself, know what you're really good at, figure out how to grow that, Um, figure out where you want your deep expertise to be and how you want to be broadly connected so that you fit in a stable way in a group. Mm -hmm. I always talk about like the T-shaped person. It's not something I came up with, but it's like a theory about people, which is you should have a deep expertise and a broad connection because T's are very stable when you put blocks together, Mm -hmm. right? They become both a base and a depth. And so I I think really doing that, trying to develop what you know you want to do and grow broad knowledge, staying connected, being aware of things. So both be aware of yourself, but also be aware of what's going on in the industry. Um, And then figuring out how to, in an ever collaborative environment, balance out what do you bring? How do you bring a benefit? So you're not just easy to work with. I don't want somebody who's just easy to work with, but I want somebody who brings something to the room. Mm But also if that person can bring something to the room and be easy to work with, you know, bonus, that's fantastic. So figuring out those kind of interpersonal things of how do you drive yourself to add a benefit at every point you touch something and be somebody who people are loving collaborating with and seeing as being a productive part of a team. That's a lot of it. And that means experience and that means working in large Mm -hmm. groups and that means developing those large group skills. Um, And then I think also, I mean, the last thing I'll say is um, communication is so key Mm -hmm. and expectations are so key. So I think when you come in, figuring out how do you communicate with lots of different types of people? How do you communicate in lots of different modes um, so that you are, you can say like, oh yeah, I've worked in places where I had to work face-to-face with a team and here's how I did that. But also I worked in places where I had to work remotely with a team and here's how I did that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I would love to feel like those basic building blocks were there because I can bring that person in to an agency and know they will be successful. Um, And then being realistic about the expectations, Mm -hmm. you know, agencies or even technology companies, or whether you want to be content creators, if we're talking about the Netflixes of the world, Mm -hmm. have reasonable expectations. This place is big. This place is going to have a lot of moving pieces. You need to be your own advocate. You need to be your own partner. Um, And so figuring out somebody who can come in out of undergraduate and figure out how to both communicate well and manage their own expectations in a, you know, a large work environment, I think is really critical. Right. Exactly. Um, I think especially that self-advocacy when you're working too, I'm just curious, just your thoughts, like, do you have any advice for students who, you know, are entering an internship and are at a big shop and are not really sure how to kind of get the attention of people who can help kind of help them learn and grow and kind of further their development? I mean, I always say solve a problem that is relevant to them, Mm -hmm. right? So let me give an example. An intern comes in and the first thing they realize is that like all the interns are super lost. They don't know their way around. And if that intern then comes back and says like, hey, so us interns, we realized we didn't know where people sat. So we just made this seating chart. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. love it. All that is, is an example of somebody that says, wait, if I put them in the mix of a larger problem or a larger group, 
they're going to also be able to identify a problem and propose a solution. And that's going to be fantastic. So it's a lot less about being like raising your hand and being like, be me, 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 notice me. I think it's really about looking at the context that is relevant to the role you do have Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to, from that level, be able to come up with a solution to make the things that are contextual to that position better. Right. No, I think that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. especially when we're in a, an industry of kind of solving problems for brands. You know, it, you kind of have to remember to find out how to add benefit and solve you know problems that other people are facing as well when you're working with them. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I also think that people who can find out their own information. So like <laughs> I definitely have had people who are, you know, coming into the workplace and the first thing they do is they have a question and they come to you and they ask that question. Mm-hmm. I really, really love it when somebody comes to me and they're like, so I had this question. And so here's the four things I did to try to answer that question myself. Right. And then I did those four things and here's what I came up with. Does that seem about right? And that person may be like, yeah, that's right on. And more than that, how incredibly motivating that you didn't just, you know, just come and ask somebody else the question, but you did the legwork to have the process of learning and developing your own answers. Because Mm -hmm. I know then I could put you in an even more challenging situation and you're also going to be able to find out information and, you know, cohese that information into something that is thoughtful and unifying. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like that's another great point to bring up too. And I think uh, just kind of along the same line of topic too, I'm curious, um, you know, what is something kind of, you know, looking back on your career now, what's something you now know, or if you've learned as you've been working that you kind of wish you knew when you were starting out and think maybe would have helped you kind of get a little better start to your career? Oh, a start, I guess. Well, first off, um, if you believe, okay, have you ever heard this is like very unrelated to the phase of life you're in, but I'm going to draw up an analogy. Sure. If you're mm-hmm. buying a house, yeah. they say buy the worst house on the best block mm-hmm. because yep. you can't change the block, but you can over time change the house. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like if you know that there's a company you want to work for, that you really mm-hmm. like the corporate culture there, take a position in that company. Like right. really getting a job there, it doesn't have to be your dream job. It doesn't have to be the perfect job. But if it's at a place you know you want to be, yeah. take it. Because right. A, you may discover it's not where you want to be. And that's actually something that's super important to learn sooner rather than later, yeah, as opposed to holding yeah. out for the ideal job. And the second thing is, even if that job is an ideal, if you're there and you prove your value, you're actually able to move within that company so quickly. So that's one thing, which is do not be precious about the specific job. Try to target where you want to be and then be open to whatever comes up. Exactly. The second thing is all of the best jobs that I've ever gotten were not jobs that existed that I applied for. So once you had a job in the company, it isn't like somebody's just going to like handcraft a job and hand it to you. If you're there and you want to do something different than what you're doing, make your own job. Like mm-hmm. start to see a need and say, wait, wait, I see this need. This could be more effective if this position existed. And so mm-hmm. come with a proposal of the job you think you want. Right. Um, and don't do it too quick. You can't do it like within the first year. You have to have actually like, you know, kind of dug in and understood where you were. Definitely. But if you're there and you're, you know, there and you've been there 18 months and you're starting to think about what you should do next and you start to see a need, like I said, a problem yeah. to solve. If you think mm-hmm. a position could solve that problem that you'd be interested in, just propose it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will always only benefit you because maybe they'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. And even if not, you've come across as somebody who's trying to solve problems by creating positions that solve problems. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, that's really nice too. 
Definitely. And as kind of things get, waters get kind of muddier with, uh, you know, at least people's positions, you know, in the sense that, you know, a lot of people in the industry now have jobs that weren't around five or 10 years ago, you know, it's even more important to kind of be an advocate for yourself and find those problems to solve. So definitely, definitely important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so just kind of, uh, to wrap things up, Elizabeth, uh, thank again, thank you for your time, but, um, we just kind of like to, uh, kind of present, ask you, is there like a book, is there a video, some sort of content online that you've been really into recently that you think would be really good to share with the audience or anything like that? Well, I am like, I mean, funny because we're doing this for a podcast. I'm a huge <laughs> podcast out fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that I really listen to. And it's funny because I'll give a really basic one. One is just planet money. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because all of us work, um, whether we like it or not, we have jobs, which means we get paid, which means we work for companies that make money and work for clients who are trying to make money. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So understanding how economics works, just the mm-hmm. basics of some of those economics things is really, really critical. I've found and always provides me a good um, kind of like a good starting point to making decisions, which are, here's some economic principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of them. And even more than that, there was a really interesting one. Uh, I probably could give it to you guys could provide the link in your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it had to do with the idea that here are some economic principles that are workplace economic principles, like mm-hmm. how long does it take to do things? And, um, how much time will people spend on it if you give them a task? Mm-hmm. And I love that stuff. So, um, that's one of the things that I, I really like and really find super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also the, I think it's called, I made that podcast, which is about like interviewing founders of companies and how they, how they started it. Um, and I always like that because it has to do with kind of entrepreneurship and, um, you know, kind of starting out and how, how those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they interview mainly like CEOs and founders and go from there. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, cool definitely cool. And, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Cole. Oh yeah. No. And I was, I was just thinking too, I mean, I feel like too, a lot of times it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in the industry too. And so it's always kind of good to take a step outside and kind of see what's going on in the broader world, see what other trends, you know, we can kind of bring into our work. Um, yeah, exactly. And especially because like something like planet money just talks about, you know, economics and finance and business, those are always really good things to, you know, kind of pull them and have the content too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, all right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you again, Elizabeth, for, uh, you know, sitting down with us and chatting with us a little bit about your position. Um, obviously you've had a great career so far and excited to see what you do next. Um, but yeah, thank, thank you. Again. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's yeah. been a lot of fun. So yeah, appreciate it. This is great. Thank you guys so much. And um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Well, that was great talking with Elizabeth. And I think, you know, as much as we'd hate for this podcast to come to an end, it is time to wrap up this week's episode, much like a nice Burger King burger or a not Big Mac, if you will. Um, But Cole, what were your favorite thoughts um, from, you know, talking with Elizabeth? Um, I thought she had a lot to to share and I really, really appreciate her advice about, you know, incoming students really need to remember that um, it's not always about getting their face in front of people. It's about, you know, finding problems that they can solve for people in the agency or for other interns to really make an impact and to, to, 
prove themselves, I guess, as they kind of work up and, and try to, to make a name for themselves at work. What did you, what did you think about Listener and what were your thoughts on her technology points too? Um, no, yeah, I, I really liked a lot of the things she had to say. Um, I liked some of the first things that she was saying a lot about, you know, you kind of have to jump into the unknown a little bit. You know, you might not end up in the exact right. position that you want to be in, but if you know that there's something that you want to do or a certain, you know, field that you want to get into, you know, you just dive into that. And then, you know, your job will mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you'll, you'll find yourself in the position that you need to be at once you're there and that being able to move around within that, uh, uh, is something that you should do. I think I really liked her points about kind of making your own position. Um, I know through my, a lot of my, yeah, that's uh, too. you know, just experience in agency world, you know, a lot of the times, you know, you'll find that maybe you don't have an exact job description, especially coming in as an intern or something like that. You know, you might be working mm-hmm. with in tandem with someone, but really it is a lot about finding that value, finding that place that you can provide that value that maybe there's a problem that yeah, they, exactly. you know, they didn't know that they needed solved or, or, you know, just making that efficiency, if you can make their lives easier, then, you know, that's a win for you. And then they're going to see that as problem solving. So I think those are super important. And then to points about technology, um, you know, I think it's super true that we have to have a metered pace. You know, we have to be looking at forward, but also thinking about how we have to attack those problems. And I loved her Zamboni, uh, mm-hmm. her Zamboni metaphor there. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good uh, analogy kind of for uh for how we should view tech and kind of how we move forward in our lives and and within agencies. Yeah, it was interesting kind of comparing her thoughts, you know, with 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 John Riches as well, you know, who you know, while he's at Moxie is also much like Team One, a publicist owned um, a shop or part of their network. And it really does seem like you have to you have all these tools, right? You have just more tools for your toolbox, but it's still not about throwing everything at the wall. It's about finding what works best, mm-hmm. right? As as Elizabeth noted, we still have out of home. We still have TV. We still have radio. Those aren't going anywhere. Um, it's just a matter of finding out, okay, how does that fit in with, you know, say a digital ad buy or say maybe you're doing... Um, you know, a voice, uh, voice activated device, and you're having, you know, a sponsorship with them to get your product to the top. If they're buying something like toothpaste from Amazon, you know what I mean? It's all, all of these different tactics are, you know, changing because of technology. But I think it's important to realize too, as, as both of them have noted now that, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean necessarily should. And I think sitting back and evaluating uh, both with tech and both with teams as a whole, I think is very important as a way to ensure better kind of you know success for your teams going forward. I, I thought that was a really insightful point that, that she brought up too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think there's just, you know, when you're looking at teams too and thinking about you know, how you organize those and, you know, how you work within a team, you know, it's important to have your own goals and then make sure that everyone is kind of working towards their own goals in a way so that, you know, everyone can kind of grow together. Yeah, find out what they do best and where they struggle and pair them with people that will be complimentary, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, we've seen a lot of tie-ins between episodes now. I think you're seeing the greater salad come together. <laughs> We're getting these individual ingredients of interviewees um, coming together and sharing their insights. And what we're seeing is it's starting to paint a picture of definitely a very changing industry, but also a very hopeful industry where if you can learn to work with others and you can really find out what is your key differentiator and what drives you and what you know, you can offer, I think you're going to have success in this industry. And I think it's one full of, uh, 
full of a lot of exciting potential, um, especially with this changing technological environment. Um, with that, we're going to wrap up this week. Um, hope you enjoyed uh, the listen. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl, and hope you enjoyed the ads because um, that's we're all, what we're all about here. Um, signing off this week from Salad. Uh, good night uh, from Tempe and uh, Cole. Why don't you take us away here? Yeah, everyone enjoy the Super Bowl and have an ad-tastic week. Yeah.